This is episode 51. We are back at it uh, here after Christmas, previewing the bowl game and recapping the, the Baylor game here. My name is Adam Lunt, joined by Mitch Gift. Uh, Mitch, did you have a, uh, a good Christmas? Oh, you know, jolly old St. Nick did me well. Really? I don't know. No, I don't know. Do you, do you get gifts anymore at this age or what? So we, for you know, personal things. We bought a house. So me and my <laughs> wife, me and my wife did like absolutely zero gifts, which is the first year, which I was a little nervous of. Cause like, cause you, you thought like that's she's going to provide like a, yeah, she's going to provide you like one of those, Hey, I got you. Even though we didn't say we're going to do a gift, yeah. I got you anyone, uh, one yeah. anyways. And, and like, I always have the sneaky suspicion that like she would be like, well, I know we said no gifts, but it's really nice to unwrap something. You know, it's really nice just to like know that you're thanking of me. So that but, didn't happen and you were safe. But, or but you good news. Good news. I didn't buy a shit and she didn't <laughs> get anything. And she liked So everyone's it. happy. <laughs> everyone's happy. <laughs> We've been doing like big gifts for each other. Like not yeah. not big. Like, for example. Yeah, like, Boats and yachts and yeah, yeah. yeah. mansions <laughs> and off the house, Ferraris. Yeah, for your uh, Christmas no, update, like, off like the twenty-seven example, remaining years on the mortgage. There will be, like last year, we got a new air conditioner for our downstairs. <laughs> that was a great gift for everyone. Yeah, uh, and this year we got a new coffee table. Very exciting stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, that, that's that's good to hear. Um, we, do you, ever, do you like curate your gifts for Austin? Like things that you're like either want or no, don't make a lot of noise. So you don't, he doesn't bother you with them. Oh, hell yes. Absolutely. <laughs> like my mother-in-law last night was saying, we almost got him a drum set and I'm like, well, that's not making it over here. You can, you can get a drum set all you want, but it's going to stay at your house. Yeah. So, stay at grandma's. Uh, well, I, and actually the last two days I've spent probably at least three hours assembling like really cheap plastic toy sets. Like I just assembled a grill, uh, like one of those yeah. like i don't even know the brand name so yeah. that's been like my a life fisher life. price a fisher price grill set that like he can fake grill or whatever yes. and there's like like instead of a like actual grates and fire it's like a sticker that has that on there so anyway <laughs> um lots lots of fun lots of fun you know i mean yeah. we're, we're having a good time here um but uh we didn't we canceled the podcast before yeah. uh to kind of combine things uh, as we've done um I don't know if, you know, I mean, the Baylor game was cool. Um, it was a lot of fun. I think it probably just makes more sense to do, like, one big podcast instead of, you know, too many ones. So I think that's a rational. Plus, we're kind of lazy, you know. And so. I feel like it's funner to uh, either dissect problems and come up with reasons or solutions for them than it is to be like, yeah, we played good. Oh, man, did you see that sack by Calvin? That was pretty dope, right? Like doesn't really add anything to people's experience right right so uh i guess do you just want to 
I'd like to hop into the Baylor game really quickly sure. so we can burn through it because I, I think the, the I think the Miami OSU matchup is really interesting yeah. for a lot of reasons. Um, so why don't we give a, like a quick recap of the Baylor game, give our high high profile thoughts, and then yeah. and then move on. So, sure. So I'll just burn through the stats real quick. So uh, offense efficiency, we were 40 for 77, which is only like 52%. But I think a lot of that was dictated by game flow, right? So like right. our first first quarter, we were 15 for 26, which is really high. And then, you know, like second quarter, 9 for 17. Third quarter, 6 for 18. Fourth quarter, 10 for 16. But a lot of that, we already, you know, up four touchdowns. You know, you, you're just burning a lead. Right. Uh, in terms of scoring zone, we had five trips, four touchdowns, one interception. Which uh, was, I think, a very liberal iffy. interpretation of an interception, but that's another story. Yeah, tie goes so. to the offense, right? That's what I always thought. Well, they but. didn't even review it. It was, it was, or either that, or they did a like the production crew from the TV did an awful job too. They showed like two replays of terrible angles, went to commercial, and then. Didn't even mention if there was a review or not. So like I was more like, mad at the TV place. Especially like the plays they do review now. Like I'm, I'm been happy the last four, last month or so. I feel like the Big Twelve especially has done a better job of getting those reviews done quicker. But we've been reviewing so many more plays. Except for the what was it, the TCU game where. <laughs> There was like 150 reviews. That's anyway. what I'm saying. Well, that's what I'm saying. They review so much more, but at least they're doing it quicker. But like, I'm like, what are we even reviewing? <laughs> I don't. I don't even know. It's uh, like I, I think it's the refs. Like when uh, OSU's offense was real humming, you know, four or five years ago, and players would have to fake injuries so they yeah. could. Uh, it's kind of like what the announcers are doing because they need a break. <laughs> They need like, to use the restroom. So, buzz, like, buzz, let's buzz. have another review. <laughs> yeah, buzz, buzz, buzz. <laughs> like buzz. They got a restroom buzz for the main ref. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, offensive line play, uh, one of the best games of the year. Six, uh, six missed blocks total, only five from offensive line. Uh, and I think they did have three penalties, which was a season high, which was interesting. Um, but other than that, I mean, you know, it was pretty much a, a really clean game. They did give up one sack. And I think there was another sack that was QB caused. I be, uh, believe no, uh, no. Actually, I don't have one here. Listen, maybe there was. I don't know. Um, but uh, Jake Springfield gave up one uh, one missed tackle. Preston Wilson one missed tackle. Which or I'm sorry, missed block uh, or assignment. Which by the way, we haven't talked a lot about Preston Wilson, but he's been yeah. like borderline excellent since filling in. I, I think he's playing a little bit out of position. Um, cause he's a little bit undersized. Position? Well, yes. probably, pr- probably center. And I know he started at center, but he, he might be a good candidate to move to tackle just because of lack of depth. Right. But one of those two, just because he's a little bit leaner and he's got a little bit better foot speed. Um, so he could either kind of stay his current size now and play center or maybe beef up a little bit and play tackle and hopefully keep that, that foot speed. Um, He's a little bit undersized for being a guard in the Big 12, I think. Um, but he's played really well. But uh, So one for Springfield, one for Wilson, one for Schneider, zero for Hunter Woodard, who's, again, filled in really well. And then two for Josh Sills. Uh, Tyrese Williams played a little bit later um, in the game. And then also 
I mean, obviously the whole second team came in, which consisted of, which I thought was interesting. The second team offensive line was a lot different than what I anticipated. Um, let me see if I've got it. I made note of it. Where did, oh, Monroe Mills, Joe Mach- uh, Machalski, which I'm sure I said that wrong. Tyrese Williams, Eli Russ, and Hunter Anthony. So uh, kind of interesting group there. Would have maybe expected, um, you know, I mean, Cole Birmingham, maybe he's not healthy. Uh, Cade Bennett's another guy. Uh, so those are some uh, interesting notes on yeah. O-line. But, you know, overall, tremendous game from those guys. Again, Dickey's got them playing really well the last three or four weeks. Uh, really just three weeks. Um, but, you know, the competition obviously hasn't been quite as great. Um, in terms of Spencer Sanders, uh, throws over five-plus yards from the line of scrimmage. He was 13 for 21, 298 yards, which is second on the year behind Texas. Three touchdowns, two interceptions, three non-catchable balls, one interceptable ball, and then two drops. So nice. uh, pretty efficient, uh, accurate day from Sanders in terms of throwing the ball, which, you know, he's been he's been accurate the last few games. So, uh, Well, so. we're nine minutes in. We haven't mentioned Stoner yet. Is this now the time we should talk about Stoner beasting? <laughs> sure. Oh. He well, beasted. Are you, were so, you uh, surprised or so – uh, I- so I think I've been looking, I've been thinking a lot about the season this last week or two, because, you know, I'm not going to like give a hundred percent of my attention to my career and my job. Right. So I got to think like <laughs> philosophically about OSU's uh, 2020 offense after the season, right. I have to think about it. Sure. And so, you know, a lot of times I think fans, I, I wouldn't say that we do this too much, but a lot of fans, I think they, uh, we think of why we had so many two tight end sets this season or even one tight end sets. If it was me, I would have a lot more four wide receiver sets, but uh, we had so many tight ends in because of the offensive line issues that were perceived, uh, you know, which we've kind of debunked a little bit, but I really think, and tell me if I'm way off here, but I, I really think that's, this all started in the off season. And the reason it wasn't successful is there were two assumptions in the off season that were made when we were installing all these packages and because it's Gundy and my biggest knock on him is inability to rapidly change, adapt quickly. While we didn't get away from it later on in the year, there were two downfalls. One, which, you know, is nobody's fault was, you know, we had a Heisman candidate worthy returning superstar running back that, you know, ended up getting hurt. And now LD still played really well. Desmond's played really well. But that threat of the Heisman-level running back wasn't there anymore, right? He wasn't playing at that level. And And there wasn't the explosive play this year either. Yes. And Desmond and LD is an explosive runner, but, you know, I mean, LD hasn't really played since – Yes. Fully since like the Texas game. So, I mean, that's what exactly four or five straight games. He's been either limited or out and Shuba has been out and Desmond's not an explosive chunk guy. So there was that big part of the offense that was missing from, I mean, how many 60 yard runs did Shuba have last year? I mean, it had to be at least seven or, you know, six or seven or eight somewhere in that 
that ballpark, and, you know, 50 and, plus maybe. And, and so number two, I think, is probably the biggest issue that why this offensive scheme didn't work. And I'm not putting it on one player, but it's kind of putting it on one player, is that Braden never became the stretch the field threat that I think the coaches hoped he would be this year. All right. And so where I ultimately come across, well, I think there was the, 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 the two main issues. One, Gundy should have adapted sooner. And I think a lack of an off season. So he doesn't have confidence in to implement new packages on a Sunday night and then run it the next Saturday because you don't have those reps. You don't have that trust with the team because you have an irregular off season and you don't have that base set plays that, you know, would be effective, right? Like that trips formation where the two wide receivers run long and then Wolf comes in underneath. They ran it like right. they've run it like eight times in the last three weeks. And every time it's a completion, <laughs> like, I don't think yeah, we've, it works. I don't think it's stopped yet, but we needed five more of those type of plays. Right. But two, right from the beginning of this year, Stoner should have been the other wide receiver in a two wide receiver set. Yeah, because, I don't know why they why they. Uh, I'm uh, I tend to agree with Braden with the Braden Johnson, uh, uh, you know, analysis uh, observation. Yeah, because it, well, I think it's kind of a combo. I think you know he is a vertical receiver, and we need to get they needed to get him vertical, and they really didn't. And maybe they did they did sometimes, and just wasn't there or the connection. Um, so if that's not working, get Stoner over there because. You know, Stoner is clearly the, and, and he's clearly capable of, you know, that position because he's moved right. all around. Because uh, so why the, not get your two best guys in that place? I, you know, I think it's a good observation. Because I think the twelve personnel works best when you have to roll a safety to Wallace, which they always did, and then two, you either have to fear that big playability of the run game, so you have to commit that other safety, and then you have to have your other wide receiver be uh, productive, right? And I mean, then, no one in this league is going to face 12 personnel with too high. I mean, it's just right. not. They just, no one does it. So you you can almost guarantee that if you're going to roll with, you know, the diamond formation or whatever, you're going to have one, you know, one safety high. They may show too high, but they're always going to bring that other guy in the box. Right. You know, so you can pretty much you know, set your watch to it that Stoner is going to have a favorable matchup in that look. You know, or not Stoner, but Braden Johnson. Braden Johnson. Or if or if Stoner moved to that position. And so and maybe and maybe Spencer only likes throwing to that side <laughs> because he sure as hell only throws to that side. Well, that, and I, that Wallace I would, and then Stoner's on, but like it's the same issue we had with Tyron Johnson, right? Like people say that Tyron was underutilized. Maybe Tyron, you know, the offense didn't get him in the right positions, but he had favorable matchups all the time, and he wasn't still wasn't productive, right? Now, is that an offensive philosophy that we need to change? Or, you know, is it he had to run 50 routes and he's getting the ball three times, so you're going to half-step that, you know, round route 30 because it's not fun? I, I think know. it's more due to the them not finding the right person for the job yeah because i think if you like like we said in before the season started that they wanted to find they wanted to do the 2017 offense again uh and marcel aitman was the perfect fit for that that role 
And if you look back at who's played the role, it's been Tyron Johnson, who's a who's a uh, you know quick, shifty, explosive player, but not a go up and get it player, an ISO type. Um, you know, you want to get him in space, you want to get him in the middle of the field to make moves and all that stuff. And and Braden Johnson is of that mold too. Okay. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe more of a little bit more of a vertical, straight line speed guy and less shifty, but similar. And that you're not going to run him, you know, on comebacks, like 10 to 14 yard comebacks and just throw the ball up and, and let him go get it. You're not going to run fades to him. All mm-hmm. that stuff that they had so much success with Marcel Aitman. You're not doing it with those guys. And they just have kind of kept things, the route tree, the same over there. Yeah. Uh, and it just seems like it's kind of a, a misfit. But um, So that would be my – so if I could go back to 2020 before the Tulsa game and I could just give – Gundy, one piece of advice that he wouldn't listen to because I'm an idiot and he's smarter than me. But I would say, let's put Stoner at two. What are we doing? Or, or we're not using you, enough three receiver sets to utilize him. Let's put him at two. And also, too, like, why are we not taking a hard look at Martin over Braden Johnson, too? Yes. Um, yes. I mean, and I think if you go back to preseason, we wanted one of those guys to win that job so you could move Braden Johnson inside to get him those favorable vertical matchups, yeah. you know, and it, was, it wasn't just saying brain Johnson's not a good player. It was more of, if we can, if we can fill this position with someone else it will open, it will enable him to be a better player, you know, at another position, you know, yeah. and it just never really uh, materialized. But I, I do think to circle back to what you were saying before of, um, you know, let's not underestimate the fact that there was not spring practice yes. uh, and all that stuff, because you're talking about, you know, uh, more or less taking Sean Gleason's part of the offense, implementing it with what Casey Dunn wants to do and all that stuff and trying to slam that in, you know, what in uh, in July and August. Right. And what what do you think you're going to do in that situation when you don't when you don't have a lot of time? you're going to go to what you're comfortable with. And that's all the stuff that they've been doing for many years. And you're probably going to consolidate that down into a, even a smaller chunk of plays. And I think that's probably what we saw of this year was the comfort plays that they've had for a long time that, you know, they probably, Spencer's probably been practicing those plays since he was a true freshman. You know, they've always been there. And the, the willingness to add more layers onto that you know, maybe you would have done that in this in the spring or summertime and built off of that in the fall, but they didn't have that. And yeah. I mean, to say that everyone everyone would have had those same issues, but everyone didn't have a quarterback like Sanders who was still kind of up and coming mental processing wise and a newer offensive coordinator who has never called plays before. Those yeah. variables were different in this case. So you know, it is what it is. I mean, you're gonna make excuses the offense underperformed, obviously. Yeah. But I do think that people shouldn't overreact and not not completely forget the the variables that that they were under. So, no, um, I agree. And and like I I agree wholeheartedly. Right? Like you can't just scrap all diamond formations because Chuba's limping, LD's out, and you know we got to play TCU. Right? Like like right. you got to just you, circling you, back. Yeah. Just circling back to the game really quick, I wanted to yeah. make a quick uh, – before we move on some from Sanders, um, 
So he didn't have a whole lot of yards on the ground. I think he only had like 25 yards rushing. But I thought it was one of the most effective running games he's had. Okay. Um, he had he converted a third and one, a third and three, a third and four, and I think like a th- uh, uh, a second and eight or something like that, all on unscheduled runs where he was improvising. Right. And he knew where the down and distance was and got the first down. And a lot of those were cutting up inside. So, yeah. you know, we've complained for a long time about him trying to make, you know, trying to score a touchdown. He bounces outside. He finds out that he's not faster than, you know, the, the other team's cornerbacks. But he made a lot of smart decisions running the football against Baylor. And it's going to go unnoticed because some of them, I mean, the converted third and one was like a three-yard gain. But that's a really important three-yard gain. <laughs> right. uh, you know, so... So I think that's something that he really needs to build on moving mm-hmm. into next season is, is if he can become not an explosive runner. I think we already know he's an explosive athlete and runner if he gets an opportunity. Is he an efficient runner? And I would say no as of now. But in the other game, he was very efficient, which is imp- really important. So um, I agree. And then um, – he missed the on the first interception. He missed the backside safety, so um, not a huge deal, but you know it was a mistake. Uh, he did. Th- I think he threw away the ball on two or three scrambles instead of taking a sack, which is nice. Um, I thought his accuracy was was really great, really in point. I think the last um, you know two or three games, his stats weren't great versus TCU, but I thought he was still accurate. Um, so I think anyone questioning his ability to throw the ball, I don't think is, I mean, they're just box score watchers. I think right. if you actually look at the throws, like they may not be completions, but the balls were there for the most part. Uh, and I still believe he has the ability to be a 65, 67% completion type guy. So um, those are really the only uh, observations I have from him. So. No, I think, I think you're exactly right. Uh, I thought he played really, really well and, you know, I thought he was very much in rhythm, and it was almost a bummer that Baylor didn't make it a better game, so we could see if he could prolong that throughout the game, right? Right. Because he didn't need to, and we didn't ask him to. <laughs> uh, one thing I would highlight offensively is there was a 92-yard drive, <laughs> which is crazy. Uh, I don't think that you know. I mean, don't let that get lost in the weeds. Um, there were a few p- plays that I found that I, I really liked, uh, really simple stuff where they would motion. It was an unbalanced formation, and then they would motion Stoner over to the uh, the weak side and run a, a simple speed out off of motion for an easy like third and four conversion. I mean, it yeah. couldn't have been easy. Um, and... I think really early they found out that Baylor was going to give him that out. Like they were playing their, their defensive structure. They, they have that, um, that overhang player where they're always going to have inside leverage and OSU. I mean, how many times did they throw an out, out route? Yeah. Baylor 10 times, eight times. Yeah. Um, So it was there the whole game. And I think early on in the first or second drive, uh, Sanders decided to not throw it. And then the rest of the game, it was like he just took it every single time, um, which I think was really smart. So, I uh, thought uh, you th- one. I thought there was like one interesting play was the fourth and three that we ran a quick snap. I and was that the one where Sanders Sanders kept just it? yeah Sanders Sanders just like hiked the ball and then ran past the tackle right, and that was a 
fourth and one play, right? Like that's I a play so. you run on fourth and one, not on fourth and three. So I was like, either they misread the down and distance or they were like, we have this new play. We want to run it, which, you know, I get that too. But I thought that was such a weird play to run on fourth and three. <laughs> so, so weird. One thing I would highlight, and I don't, I don't know if it really means much, but I believe I was watching, I want to say it was the Georgia's, it was, it was a ball game. I think it may have been the Georgia, Georgia State, Western, State game, Western something like that, where Coastal they ran Carolina. that play, where it was an under the center play. They hiked the ball, play action, like naked bootleg. And uh-huh. he was on the two yard line and the guy walked into the end zone. Like it couldn't have been an easier touchdown. So I think um, it's one of those things where, and they run power so much out of under center where I think they were probably trying to play off of that. Uh, I, I tend to agree that I think it was one of those ones where maybe it would have been better suited for fourth and one. Um, but yeah, I, and I mean, he, I think he had, like, he had the first down if he didn't trip, you know, right. kind of tripped, but right. yeah, go ahead. It's one yeah. of those ones where it's like retroactively, it's easy to look at saying it's a bad play call. I think it's a good play. They should keep it. Yeah. hundred um, percent. It. It, and and maybe it's a good uh, a good thing to bring up that like that's probably something that they didn't practice a lot you know and you know here they are they go in it's probably a good play call a good situation and the execution was terrible you know so um, I don't know and the score Not, was already twenty eight to nothing and we had stopped them on the first drive of the third quarter and then you know we got the ball back but you know it would have been nice to convert it it's just a weird play I thought I just thought that was like the only interesting play to me that was like a Stuck out as odd. One thing uh, also, too, the the second uh, stoner touchdown, I believe, was the one on that um, crossing route. And so that's basically the same play that they ran, for the most part, the fourth and ten play versus TCU. And again, I mean, that's like first or second down, and it's a much better situation uh, for that play, right? Which is a little bit of a different variation where instead... I think the one versus TCU were deep over crossers. So basically one wide receiver on each side and they cross each other in the middle of the field. Um, in this particular case, it's the same concept except Stoner runs a shallow crossing route and then pivots vertical once he clears the linebacker, um, which and Oklahoma a lot of people play. Call, o- right, Oklahoma runs everyone, it all the time. A lot of people call it leak or, or um, you know, there's a lot of other few names for it, but it worked really well because what, what happens is, is in this particular case, they're running man coverage. When you do an intermediate crosser, um, that, that cornerback who's probably seven or eight yards off the, off the ball is going to drive straight on the crosser. Um, and what happens is, is once you route it vertical, he's out of position. Um, so I think those, those dual routes where you kind of like a slant and go, right. Um, or a hezzy slant or a lot of those combined routes where you take the over aggression from players and use it against them, um, worked really well. And, you know, it's, it's the same situation where a lot of people look at the fourth and 10 play and be like, you know, that's a terrible play. Why do they even run it and all that stuff? It's a good play. It's a bad time for that play. You know, those are two different things. So, uh, other than that, I mean, it was a lot of people were highlighting like how they ran more, uh, you know, four wide and all that stuff. That's not true. They ran pretty much the same offense. They've always ran. <laughs> uh, I even went back and looked at the Texas game where people were like, they spread it out more and all that stuff. No, not really. Um, we're, we're really just talking about better situational play calling and better execution. 
in both of if, those games. Yep. Um, if but the running very game's similar. working. Right. And that's a big thing. Uh, which, by the way, Texas game, though, really wasn't working. Um, I mean, it wor- worked a little bit, but I think they had better um, they had better flow. I don't necessarily know if you have to have the run game working. You just It just has to be there enough to keep them honest. And if so, you can mix the plays in together. Whereas if you don't have good flow, it's a lot harder, you know? Right. Uh, so, but uh, what a, what were your thoughts defensively? I mean, it was just a, I mean, what are you supposed to say? It's just a dominant yeah. performance. So, <laughs> so, yeah, the defense was dominant. It was disgusting. I was so mad they got a field goal at the end. Ah, but shut them that out. Was very, that was very disappointing, yes. <laughs> what was the final score? Was it 42-3? to Three, three yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll just run through the stats real quick. Uh, real hey, yeah. real quick before you start. So I know that people are like, "Oh, well, Baylor had all these players out, and this shouldn't oh, count or whatever." Yes. Um, Baylor, Baylor was missing four starters, and OSU was missing three starters. <laughs> uh, and then Baylor was missing two starters on offense and two starters on defense. Now, their depth was probably depleted. They didn't get to a full week of practice. I think they started back practicing Tuesday or Wednesday. So that certainly um, plays a role. But I don't, I mean, this was a severe, this is a bad ass kicking. Uh, now, if both teams were full strength, it would have been a different game, of course. But OSU's missing Chuba Hubbard, L.D. Brown, T- Tevin Jenkins, Rodarius Williams. I mean, you know, <laughs> OSU's playing a lot of backup players too. Yeah. So, you know, cry me a freaking river, Baylor. Like, you know. This was a this was a good game for OSU. I mean, I, I wouldn't minimize the fact that Baylor went out and and whooped up on Oklahoma defensively, and then OSU the next game goes out and kicks their ass. Um, I would not minimize that. You know, I think yeah. that's real. I mean, o, OSU was missing the four players that are going to get drafted. Yeah, like literally so take, the take four best players and take you away their their NFL players. And yeah. how good are they? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. So, so I, you know, I get. It. I mean, if you would have told me that if this was a they they were depleted by depth, I'd look at the second half and be like, okay, that's fair. It's a fair argument. Right. OSU was up. Was it twenty eight nothing in half? I mean, they came nine. out and scored three out of the four drives were touchdowns. Another one was a and the other Playing. one was an interception in the red zone. Right. So, and and uh, just um, offensively, it was uh, just pathetic. I mean, I have their their drive chart. So here, here, just let me read off this drive chart before we get into their stats. Uh, their their drive chart is punt three plays, punt five plays, punt four plays, punt three plays, punt five plays, punt four four plays, end of half eight plays, punt three plays, punt three plays, punt six plays, punt three plays with a new quarterback, field goal fourteen plays with, against the backup defense, and punt five plays. So. <laughs> 10 drives of five plays or less. I mean, they basically had no offense. So anyways, I just wanted to make sure that people understood that like, like, yeah, they had, they are, I think the, the message was they had like 46 players or staff out. Staff. What a generic statement that is. How many staff, how many of those are like equipment managers and stuff like that? How many players did they have out? Um, that's right. So that's, that's I mean, when you knew it was a Bugazi. Right. Stat, right? It was as soon as they wrap everything up into one. When they wrap all the coaches, all the personnel into one stat, you knew they were full of shit, right? Like they would say 46 uh, total players, to- total staff, 
including whatever, 30 players or whatever, if that number was high enough to be noteworthy, I feel like. Yeah. So, anyways, you can go on with your defensive right. stats. I just want to make sure and have that disclaimer for any listeners. So, so we had six missed tackles, which is the least since Kansas. Nice. Uh, one in the first, two in the second, and then three in the fourth, which the three were, I think, all second team uh, missed tackles uh, in the fourth. And then money down defense, we were four for 17 uh, on the day, 0 for three in the first, one for five in the second, one for five in the third, two for four in the fourth. That's how you beat teams, right? Like, that's how you beat teams. That is... Like, like they have two, solid. they have two conversions going into the fourth quarter. That's how you beat teams. That's how Three. you beat teams. <laughs> I can't express it enough. <laughs> Wait, how do you beat teams? Uh, <laughs> the one thing that was interesting: zero turnovers forced, which was yeah. after a game that they forced five. <laughs> right, <laughs> was interesting. Um, pressure rate was thirty-three percent, which is you know lo- still lower than normal, but they did generate eight QB hurries which is, um, you know, pretty good. Uh, so, I mean, I don't necessarily think we got to have to go into a ton of detail. I mean, it was just an absolutely d- dominant defensive performance. Um, a few people that caught my attention, and then we can move on to Miami if you're okay with that, is uh, one, just the entire defensive line I thought played really well as a yes. cohesive unit. Murray played um, really well. Right, and that was that was my first one. Is just super productive and disruptive, Cam Murray. Um, he's kind of like this. Like no one talks about him a lot, but he's had like quietly a really good year. I agree. Uh, and then Brock Martin. I mean, is there a more? Is there a uh, most improved player more than Brock Martin? Yeah. I mean, he was kind of an afterthought. He's like, okay, lost his job to Trace Trace Ford. He's come back, and Trace Ford's kind of gotten moved to where. They they're either fifty fifty or or Ford kind of goes into more of like a situational pass rusher guy because Martin's so much better in the run game right. that they have to put him in. Sometimes they play him together, um, so he's been really stout. Um, another player, Christian Holmes, uh, you know, has really struggled, and yeah. he was this is his best game of the year. He was great at the line of scrimmage. I think Christian Holmes. I figured him out. Okay. He's great. He's great at intermediate and line of scrimmage, and his he is not good vertically. Like down the right. field, he struggles. Panics. Yeah. Um. But when you're talking about wide receiver screens, playing aggressive at the line of scrimmage, and then you know intermediate routes, he's really stout. Um. So if I was a coach, I would go at him vertically. <laughs> but right. uh, opposing coach, uh, he got injured. I don't know if he's playing in the bowl game. So that's something that's that's, something we'll have to watch. Yeah. So, and then, you know, Colby Harville Peel, I thought played really well. Uh, Trey Sterling didn't play. So of course, um, you know, I can't highlight him, but normally he's the guy that we highlight. Usually Um, he plays well. (laughs) Yeah. I just say, normally I would say Trey Sterling here, but uh, any guys that stood out to you? Uh, I had one question about one of the guys. So obviously Trace Ford, we think probably tore his ACL, right? If we can all read Gundy's lips. Uh, I don't think anyone's confirmed yet. As yeah, far as I'm, but yeah, no one's confirmed it. But that's what he yelled at the Baylor sideline. Right. But did it ever come out why everybody was so upset at Baylor on that? So I think like, what happened was is he that, finishing the block? The I, yeah, I think that he went down, held his knee, and then the guy like landed on top of him. Yeah, 
And it yeah. didn't. I watched it, and I mean, yeah, it would have been great if he didn't do that, but it didn't look like super awful, you know. Yeah. So I know that the players and Gundy were real upset about it at the time. Right. Um, I mean, it's at the end of the day, though, it's still football, and you know, it, if that's a normal play, and he's down on the ground, um, and he's not injured, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what you're supposed to do, you know. So that's I mean, kind of sure, what. That's I'm sure what it I thought really too, sucked but... for Ford, yeah. who literally blew out his yeah. knees on the ground, and then a 320-pound offensive lineman lands on you. Like yeah. that—that that sucks. I, I get it. You know, what were you gonna say? Yeah, no, that's what I was wondering if that's what it was, or if he was talking shit or something afterwards. But like, it seemed to me clear that like, you know, it was a jerk play, but it wasn't a malice play, and it right. didn't seem like, and he, it would look like a non-contact injury, so like it wasn't. That guy's fault. He got hurt. I was just wondering if that was what you read it as well. Uh, just kind of shift, shifting gears a little bit. So yeah. just players out. So of the players that didn't play against Baylor, I have basically a list of like six. So Hubbard, okay. Wallace, Jenkins, L.D. Brown, Trey Sterling, and Rodarius Williams didn't play versus Baylor. Um, which, by the way, I mean, just that list is ridiculous. I mean, those are the Beast best players. List. Yeah. Um, so, again, Crimey River, Baylor, you got your ass kicked. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure – so Hubbard's definitely not playing. Wallace is playing. Jenkins is not playing. L.D. Brown, I believe, is playing. Oh. Trey Sterling, I have no idea. And Rodarius yeah. Williams, I have no idea on. Um, so, I don't know if you have any insight on that. Nope. But – the, I didn't even know Wallace was for sure playing yet. Yeah, they came out and said that he plans on playing. Nice. So, which is cool. Um, you know, and I have no ill will towards Hubbard or Jenkins going moving yeah. on. I think it's great that Wallace. I think you should. You know, uh, it's a weird season. Do it. You know, you think is best for you. Uh, but you what's know, best for you and your family, Adam? Right. Your right. family. Trey Sterling and Rodarius Williams not playing or playing is a Huge. big deal. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I don't, you know, it's going to be kind of hard to, to kind of make a, a clear analysis of the game with that being, you know, up in the air, but I, I haven't heard anything about them opting out or anything. So I'm assuming that, and I think Trey Sterling's injury was fairly minor. He was suited up and he could have played, I believe. So, um, so I assume that he could play. And then, you know, Rodarius Williams kind of shut it down. I'm kind of leaning towards maybe him not playing because, uh, you know, for him to get fully healthy for all the offseason stuff and the, right. and the, and the combine. But again, I haven't heard anything. So maybe. So, yeah. And obviously Woods is going to be gone, right? Because right. he entered the portal. So like he's gone, right? He's That's how that works. Going to Virginia. So right. A week um, after they which, ran, by the way, they ran Carson's woodshed. Yes. And which I was wrong. I, I was against the woodshed. But if that's what the woodshed is, is him grabbing the ball and then leaning forward, I'm all about it. Which, by the way, I've seen that play ran like yes! three or four times this week. Since. Yes. <laughs> by, other, by other teams. NFL teams, so, everything. It's so funny how it's such a copycat league. Oh, it's everyone just copies each other. It's crazy. So, um, uh, so shifting to Miami. One. Um, oh, well, and Seals, Seals came. Came back, but we for, is coming back next year. But we forgot to tell him that he was. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. that's still that's still up in the air. I guess <laughs> it seems like he's thinking about coming back, but we're not sure. Um, so yeah, well, they yeah, kind of announced 
Josh Sills is coming back, and then he's like, he's tweeting like, "Hey, I haven't said that. <laughs> Who's your source? Because yeah. I am Josh Sills, and I, I didn't am say Josh that." <laughs> but funny. he would be a nice addition back, you know, to kind of bolster that offensive line. Hopefully, they'll be able to find some pieces to where he can move back inside the guard, which would be ideal. But, yeah. um, uh. Okay, so Miami, you're yes. kind of like a closet Miami fan, aren't you? I I you came to could... Oklahoma State a big Miami fan. I was a big fan of like the Ken Dorsey era, you know, Portis, you know, all those guys were my my who I, I really enjoyed watching growing up. Because, you know, I wasn't going to OSU until like two months before I went to OSU. But now I'm not one of those guys that's like if OSU was playing Miami, I'm rooting for Miami, right? Like my Miami podcast did terrible, so I'm an OSU guy. <laughs> I, and for the record, I don't think I knew I was going to OSU until like two weeks. I think I beat you um, yeah. before I actually went. Um, this this game, it was kind of funny when we were seeing like the projections of the bowl. It was like most common ones I saw were Arkansas and Miami. And I'm like, because I have family connections to both, where you yeah. know, both my brother-in-laws and sister-in-law went to Arkansas. And then my my dad went to Miami. And my brother's a Miami fan. My mom's a Miami fan. Um, that was what I grew up with. It was, And some of you guys know I'm a, I'm a Florida State fan. And, and kind of the backstory on that is, um, I don't know, around the same time. I mean, that was what I grew up with was – like Miami football. And then I guess at some point I was like, I hate Miami. I'm going to like their biggest rival. And so that's how I became a Florida state fan. So this is like a big um, family game for us because um, I went to Oklahoma state. My brother went to Oklahoma state. And he's a Miami fan. And he's he's a Miami fan. He's definitely going to be rooting. Oh, he'll, he'll definitely be rooting for Miami. Also his, so his name is Clark. And as a surprise, Adam, I have him ready to join the podcast. So Let's Clark. <laughs> right, he, I'm just messing, dude. I would Clark, never have Clark on this. <laughs> I would you never have Clark a, on this you, podcast. You got me a terrible, terrible Christmas gift, dude. Your your Christmas gift was awful. All right. Uh, so my, that's a little bit of backstory of on the family history. Yeah, so. Clark is fun to party with, but he would be terrible to podcast with. Sorry, and, Clark. And he's a terrible fan. So. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know anything about football. I mean, he he like he he's like a fan, but he. He'll like snap out of being a fan when it's convenient for him. So uh, nice. Anyway, nice. that would so be a nice thing. My, yeah. my, they all root for OSU when it like like because they know one that they're worried about me when OSU loses. I think <laughs> <laughs> more than anything. And then uh, and then obviously my parents paid a bunch of tuition money to OSU, exactly. so they'll they'll root um, for them. But everyone pretty much in my family is going to be rooting for Miami, um, except me. So it's kind of a unique uh, little family rivalry uh, because I don't think OSU and Miami have played in for almost 30 years. So. What do you think? What do you think their consensus is on the Manny Diaz hire? Because to me, it seems like he's brought a little bit of the swagger back, you know, in the last couple of years to Miami, which they need, um, especially because, you know, they have such a shitty stadium <laughs> and all that. But, <laughs> well, I mean, it's just true. Like, it's just not a fast, it's not a, well, I don't. I wouldn't say football. that it's. I wouldn't say that it's a bad stadium. It just. It's I don't. A bad I don't. Stadium I don't for like the, I don't like the pro stadium feel. For yeah, sure. That's exactly. Like I want. I want a college like atmosphere with the tailgating and the um and all that stuff. And you just. It feels like a pro game, and I. I but I'm more like of a college traditionalist. Maybe some people love if, that. If you're you know? a five star recruit in Florida and you go 
take your three visits to Miami, Florida State, and Florida, one of those is not like the other two. Right. right? Exactly. Like it's just it's just an instant disadvantage. <laughs> yeah. So I I think that Manny Diaz is interesting. I mean, D. I mean, he's jumped around a lot. I right. mean, I was looking at his background. I mean, he's been defensive coordinator at Middle Tennessee State, Mississippi State, Texas. Louisiana Tech, Mississippi State again, then Miami, all in the last like 10 years. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, he's jumped around a lot. Um, he obviously, I mean, his ties to Miami are crazy. You know, he's his dad used to be the mayor of Miami. Really? Uh, yeah. Cool. I mean, his, and the funny thing is, he went to Florida State. <laughs> it's like, I, I, you can't make this up in terms of like all the, all the moving parts with him. But like, you know, Manny Diaz is Miami, like that he embodies Miami. So, Culturally and figuratively, and all the everything, every angle you can say, Manny Diaz is a great fit. Now, you know, football wise, I mean, did you ever see that picture of him riding in on a yacht and everything? Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, he he buys into that culture. So if they ever get to that point where they can get back to where that how they were a long time ago, he's obviously a good fit. Um, they didn't really start hitting their stride this season though until they hired Rhett uh, Rhett Lashley, their offense coordinator. I mean, they were. Yeah. They were an average at best team last year, uh, and this year they were pretty good defensively, which is what my, Manny Diaz, he's on the d- defensive side. And they, they made pretty big strides on offense, too, uh, this year, and which made them into an 8-2 team instead of a, like a 6-6 six and six team. Um, so I think you know, a lot of that is dependent on making good coordinator hires, but frankly, that's everyone. <laughs> you know, That's a really important part of being a good coach. So... Uh, anyways, those are my thoughts on, uh, on him. I, I really enjoy the bowl games though. Cause you get to research the coaching trees. Um, for <laughs> what a, what a nerd, is that a nerd statement. Oh my God. <laughs> well, I mean, would you call me anything else by listening to this podcast other than a nerd? Can uh, we talk about how every bowl game has changed sponsors? Like the Cheez-It Bowl we're playing in was the Camping World Bowl. <laughs> and the Cheez-It Bowl that was before is now like whatever the Serve Pro or whatever bowl. Like are bowl money – bowls just not making any money? Is that why we're, they're losing sponsors? It's, it's all just based off TV revenue now. I think yeah. bowls used to be a big thing in terms of like actual attendance. I mean obviously this year it's all about uh, TV money. But yeah. even before it was like – I think it was really trending. There's so many bowl games, and a lot of them were so poorly attended that it's all about just playing towards TV revenue. So um, I don't know, but you know, the Cheese It Bowl isn't really a great name. It's it's very like it it, it diminishes the value of the game quite a bit, and, it, and it's actually I mean this is the only matchup outside of the New York Six between two ranked teams. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it is a it's a pretty good matchup, you know. So. I have, I, I have, I went from a household that had zero types of Cheez-Its in their house to now we have two in preparation for the games. So we have two types of Cheez-Its. I'm more of a Cheetos guy. I don't like Cheez-Its. So. Oh, dude, I love Cheez-Its. That's one of those things you can't keep in the house because it's just going to get eight. So back to Rhett Lashley. Yeah. Okay, so speaking of uh, my, the coaching my inability to of- keep fast food on my in my house, but uh, yeah. So Rhett Lashley played quarterback under Gus Malzahn. Fun fact. Spring that is Hill, fun fact. How many people played quarterback or like was a GA with Gus Malzahn? I feel like half the freaking coaches <laughs> in the in the league. Like his coaching tree is crazy. He backed up Matt Jones at Arkansas. Remember Matt mm. Jones 
former yeah. tight end for the Jaguars. Um, had a little cocaine problem, I think. Um, he was he the quarterback. He was the quarterback of the game we went to, right? Where's Arkansas, Alabama? Wasn't he a quarterback that day? Uh, that was like maybe about six, seven years, years off. Off, yeah. As soon <laughs> no as I said deal. that, I was like, "Oh wait, that was like McFadden and that era." I think was that was like Matt Jones. 2011 or 2012, yeah. and Matt Jones, I think, was at Arkansas in like 2004, 2005. Yeah. That was like, like um, the McFadden era. And then Rhett Lashley followed Gus Malzahn every single year from 20, 2004 to 2017, other than one year at at Samford. Uh, so five different places. So he's basically a Gus Malzahn guy. And then he went to SMU or he went to UConn for one year, SMU for two. And now he's at Miami. And basically, if you look at his resume, he's pretty much made a positive impact pretty early at every stop he's had. Um, he was the quarterback coach for Nick Marshall on Auburn's, uh, uh, team that went to the national title game. He made positive impact at Arkansas state. He was able to whip UConn into shape in one year. And then obviously SMU was, uh, you know, a pretty healthy gain for two seasons before making pretty big strides at Miami in just one season as well. So, um, so anyways, and then, yeah, so he dropped off the check is what he did at Auburn, right? Pretty much to Cam. I mean, that's what they did. Um, but Blake Baker's or DC, I have less fun facts about him. He just yeah. came from. Well, actually, he. I do have one fun fact about Blake okay. Baker. I'll decide he, if it's fun or not. <laughs> <laughs> Manny Diaz spent one year at Louisiana Tech, then uh-huh. left to go to Mississippi State for a second time, and Blake Baker took a spot at Louisiana Tech wow! and then stayed there for years, and then got hired by Manny Diaz at Miami. So I feel what like that's pretty fun. fun. Fact. That is super fun. <laughs> So, uh, what are your thoughts about Miami? Big picture thoughts. Big picture thoughts. So you can't start any Miami discussion without talking about King, right? The quarterback, right, of course. Uh, I, coming back I thought, next year. Yeah, I saw that he was coming back next year, which I didn't never. I never thought of him as a real pro prospect. Um, I'm not impressed with. I saw him got a mock draft. I think sixth and se- sixth or seventh round. Wow. So I think he could be a guy that gets drafted, you know, according. And right. apparently he got an invite to the Senior Bowl. Um, so. Oh, okay. Well, maybe, yeah. you know, maybe the the people that do it for a living are a little better at it than I am. But uh, <laughs> Or maybe I, not. Or maybe no, not. <laughs> no, I mean, I guess he could be a good fit on a team that already has a mobile quarterback, right? Like if you're, I don't know, if you're going to start Jalen Hurts like maybe your backup can be King I don't know but well, worried about his height I mean yeah I mean you got what how many how many quarterbacks are under six foot now Russell yeah. Wilson Freeze. Baker Mayfield um Freeze. Kyler Murray yeah I mean there's what four or five now so well so I had noticed at the beginning of the year he wasn't running very much uh, in my rewatching the games, right? But like towards the end of the year, he's running it like 15 times a game. <laughs> They're becoming he's, much more. He has reliant. more rush attempts than anyone else on the team. I know that's what I'm saying. But like by the end of the year, he's just like half the rush attempts are him. Um, I like uh, Cameron Harris. I think he's a pretty good running back. Uh, I I don't like the run blocking scheme, and maybe you can speak better on this, but I just don't feel like they put them in the position to have open holes and i don't know how to fix that but just watching it it always seems like they're working for their yards yeah and uh, so i didn't, I, I didn't yeah. pick that up so i don't really have any major 
no. observations on on that. But they're, I mean, I'll tell you that their run game isn't good. Right. It's not very. I mean, you know, it's it it's a situation where uh, they put a lot of pressure on King or or the running backs to make you know people miss. <laughs> Um, you know, so for, for perspective, I think Cameron Harris had just a shade under 600 yards and he had, I think one, like a 75 yard touchdown run. And if you take that away, he's averaging, I think under four yards of carry. So, uh, which, you know, I mean, it's unfair to take away the longest, but if you're talking about sustainable run game, they just don't really have it. Um, you know, a lot of it is King on QB draws or scrambles and stuff like that yeah. to kind of boost up the run game. Um, they've so, won a lot of close games. Yeah, they really have. So, uh, my, my thoughts are, I, I was almost like, I don't want to say blown away, but, and, and I, I want to kind of tie this back to Oklahoma state yeah. is how similar their offense is to the OSU offense. I mean, it's, it's so similar. I mean, they are attached at the hip to 11 personnel. They do, even when they flex or even when they run four wide, um, they're they're in eleven personnel. They're taking their tight end, who's a very good tight end, by the way. Yeah, Jordan. Jordan. Um, they have a, a he's kind of a poor man's Kyle Pitts, Jelani kind of a Woods. mismatch no, guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, mismatch tight end, but they're they're very attached to eleven personnel. They they do all kinds of different things to get King favorable matchups and and QB draws and and uh, you know zone read type stuff. But also they have like. Um, they do that thing where they stack their two wide receivers in a two by two set and run like switch release, uh, you know, wheel post wheel routes. I mean, they they ran a play out of trips that was literally identical to what OSU runs, yeah. where they run. It's that one where Dylan Stoner usually runs like a six or seven yard curl, and they run. Uh, he's like behind the other two receivers. Yeah. It's like a trips, yeah. and they kind of run up the coverage, and he runs a curl right behind him. I mean, literally the same play. Um, this is very similar. So, you know, I mean, OSU's defense should be more than prepared to what they're going to see. And the only difference is in terms of, you know, we've talked about OSU's offense a lot about the structure and, you know, how much it can work moving forward, how it needs to become more complex. They have like maybe 15% more um, plays. And a lot of them are, like some of those misdirections, some of the pop passes, and they mm. crushed people on pop passes. So you can just change something, just uh, tweak it a little bit and make your offense so much more effective. Right. Like I would say adding another one or two layers on the OSU's offense and mixing it in evenly, and you're at Miami's offense. Like that's how close they are. And wow. in terms of... Um, S&P plus Miami had a much better offense this year than OSU. I mean, it was uh, Miami was 30. OSU was 54. So I mean, you're talking about a pretty significant difference in rankings only by a small difference of amount of things you'd have to add. So a lot of people are like, you know, should you make changes or completely reinvent the wheel? You don't have to do that. Just, (laughs) I mean, just take your, your base offense, you know, let's, let's pick some things that work. And, and what doesn't work, let's get rid of the stuff that doesn't work. And then let's implement, you know, some new things, but it could only be 20, 25% of the stuff and you're there. You know? Yeah. So it was, it was weird watching them play because they reminded me so much of Oklahoma state with mm-hmm. the exception of just that small sliver of, of concepts. 
I think that's an interesting point too, because right, like because they're they heavily rely on that Harley receiver, uh, and yeah, and he's what fifteen percent worse than Wallace. Right. Cameron Harris is fifteen percent worse than the LD Chuba. You know, King might be a little better than Sanders, but like you know, our teams that are the key positions they rely on are ten percent better, but. Miami's a 10% better offense, right? Because of what you're saying with the... When that's the the gap, that's that's like the... You know, I mean, you're taking slightly less or maybe even personnel. Yeah, even personnel. Being that much better with just a few slight changes. Um, So, and and like you mentioned, I mean, they they ISO... They throw to Harley a lot more than the other receivers. (laughs) And, you know, it's kind of the same concept. They run King a lot. Uh, so it's very similar in terms of approach. It's just like, for example, I was watching the pit game and their first touchdown was on a, a QB draw pop pass where it's basically the running back and the, the quarterback in the backfield. And the running back literally just runs straight down the field on the snap. And King kind of does like a little fake Tebow, fake QB draw and just drops back. And the, the running back is wide open because everyone's running up because they think it's a QB draw. Uh, and that's a really simple play to right. keep, you know, and, and something down the middle, which OSU doesn't really do a great job of working of, of down the middle, you know, middle, yeah. uh, intermediate, deep field. And it was an easy 40 yard touchdown, you know? So, um, so I think Miami could be a good model for OSU to look at on the off season. Maybe they're looking at it now saying, Hey, uh, you know, these are some things that we can do easily because yeah. they're not complex. You know, these are easy spread type plays that you can implement your offense pretty uh with that with a minimal investment so um that was my that was my big thoughts when i was watching them i was like man these teams look so similar uh it's kind of wild so uh any other thing that caught your attention from them offensively um just that they're very up and down right like they'll one week like when they played like you know at the beginning of the year when they played Louisville they looked really good i thought the offense did and then you know they play they play Florida State right after or right before anyways but you know they blow out Florida State they played Florida State the next game after Louisville yeah. so yeah and then and, they got creamed by Clemson and you're like oh man this team is going to be something right and you know and i don't think getting creamed by Clemson is a, <laughs> a does not make a a team right like yeah i understand that well, i think that you know, Louisville does, game but... was kind of misleading because they scored like almost 50 points but they had like four huge plays right um and you know it was just complete busts by louisville and i'm not saying that but but they, they were, looked they yeah they on. looked way better than they were i think yeah well and i think like they looked bad against Vir- both virginia's right virginia virginia tech their offense had no like rhythm, but you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think this team, you know, you stop King, you stop them, right? Like if you just come at the King, you best not miss, right? To quote the wire. But like, if he's not comfortable, the offense isn't comfortable. Yeah. I would, I would compare them to like a, like Texas in terms of quality. I mean, I think in terms of what they do and their, you know, tenured quarterback, is yeah. you know under the right situation they can beat you, but in general, you know I feel like that they kind of want 
they they left me wanting more a lot on offense. Uh, and I think King's a good player, but he's not a like a Kyler Murray type that is right. like totally just scares you, you know, and you're just terrified of him. I think, right. and and he's not a a uh, you know he's he's not like that running or passing. I mean, I think he's he's an a, a effective passer to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but. You know, if you're going to make him consistently make tough throws, he's going to struggle. If you're going to, you know, what they're going to try to do is, is they're going to try to use misdirection and the run pass option, not necessarily like an RPO play, but like him faking run uh, and trying to get people wide open in space. And if they're able to do that, they're probably going to be pretty well. If you can, if you can be consistent and stay home and know your assignments and put him into positions to make plays on his own consistently, you may, you're probably going to be uh, in a pretty good position to succeed. I agree. So, and, and I don't think we have to change our defense to match up to them. Right. Like, no. like cat cat versus cat. That's what uh, Trent Dilford called man versus man uh, last week. And I really like that. So when you're running cat defense, so that's what I'm going to call it from now on. But, but uh, do you have to, do you have to explain it every time? Every like, time. Or, or like 11 personnel. That's one running back. Running and back. One tight end. <laughs> GT cat counter. Defense. Let me <laughs> cat versus cat, which is man versus man defense. So, Isn't it so much way. easier to call it cat? And so, like when we're running cat, <laughs> but <It's just> man, <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same number of letters. But uh, so, anyways, so I I think that cat can you know just keep the pressure up on him, maintain your you know running lane discipline, and you know. Put Malcolm as a spy, like you've done with the other teams, and I think you can beat him on offense. You yeah, can make it I, I think that the, just the familiar familiarity level with the offense and the fact that we, you know, pretty much everyone in the Big Twelve is fielding some form of a, a mobile quarterback. I mean, um, this should be a, a defensive matchup that I think they're they're pretty comfortable with. Not to say that they uh, Miami can't beat them because they certainly can. And especially with some time off, I'm sure that they're going to expect some creative plays and, and whatnot. But yeah. from a, from a personnel perspective, there should be nothing that they're not prepared for. I mean, you know, you've got the tight end situation with Iowa State that prepares you for that. You've got the the mobile quarterback. Um, if you basically are able to win those matchups and contain King on the ground and push him to make a lot of tough throws, that's going to be a really good position that you're going to put yourself in. Um, I did create. The three keys to success on defense. Do you Perfect. want me to burn through this? Yeah, uh, let's do it. You don't have to burn through it. Let's talk about it, buddy. Uh, it's, so it's my Sunday. first one is time to talk, man. Well, we got eight minutes until NFL game starts. We got we got to crank through this stuff. Um, it's fantasy championship week, man. Come on. Um, I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> you're like I don't care. I'm already out. Uh, <laughs> so my first one is don't overcommit. Um, and this is kind of feeds into what I was talking about. So uh, their their run offense on its on its basic level is, you know, it's fine. It's just, it's nothing crazy. Right. Right. However, when they get that, their counter game and their misdirection and their pop passes and the reverses Mm -hmm. and all the stuff that they, they like to run, that's when you get in trouble. So I think it's one of those things where it's like, trust your gap control um, and don't try to make a play Uh, like, like, for example, if you're responsible for the motioning wide receiver that's running out of the play, stay home you right. know, because they're going to try to run a trick play or a pop pass or something to catch you off guard. And that's going to how they're, they're going to make their living. They're not a 
a methodical offense that's going to work down and and do you know six yards here, seven yards here. They're a big play offense, so they're gonna they may struggle here or there, and then they're going to pop you with a seventy-five yard touchdown pass. So stay home, don't overcommit, um, stay I, disciplined. Which I think our defense, you would think, if knowing our defensive strategies, we would have got burned on a lot more this year. I've been impressed with. They've been really disciplined. I mean, yeah. really great at that. So I, I think this could be a really positive um, thing for OSU defensively because they've, you know, it's a tenure defense, right? So you, you would hope that they're disciplined. So yep. um, number two, the second one's pretty obvious is, I mean, I don't think it's anyone's going to be surprised, but key on King where B gap sound against this team because they have a mobile quarterback. So for example, like King, when King, has success rushing, it makes their offense way better. Mm-hmm. So I think what you want to do is, is you know, if if you get put in conflict, you know, you should be fine to take King on without having to crash down a line of scrimmage on those read type plays. You know, you should be covered on the front side, gap wise. Trust right. the scheme. You know, instead of trying to make a play where if you've got King, but you feel like oh I'm going to try to make a tackle for loss for the running back, like just Stay with the program, which means, you know, if that means that you're on a read play, you're staying home with King and he, you know, he doesn't have the ball, then that's fine. But you're, you, we want him to give, I think is the, is the program and trust your defense on the backside to stop the running back. So. uh, Unless you're Brock Martin and you just tackle both the running back and the quarterback. That's also acceptable. That's, that was a cool a, play. That, that was a great play by him. Uh, I don't even know how that happened, but uh, Baylor's so slow on their counters. It's like yes. embarrassing almost. Like, Brewer holds it forever when they give it away. Gotta get this going faster, but that's another. Uh, and, and by the way, I mean, they run all the same run plays we see in the Big 12, the split zone, the GT counters, um, you know, out of two two backs, all that stuff. So a lot of that's going to be a big thing is, is like, can you hold King on read plays. And I think right. that that's something that they've got a, they've got a really keen on. And then three, again, is not going to be surprising, but bring pressure. Um, they gave up a lot of sacks. I think it was 29 sacks. Wow. Uh, Miami gave up um, five more sacks than OSU did. And uh, King took a lot of the sacks. I think it was 26 to 29. Um, so stay in your rush lane, trust your coverage behind you and, and bring pressure because right. if you're going to force him into tough throws, with, you know, in contested situations, I mean, again, King's short, get your hands up, you know, bat some balls down and make him put some balls into coverage. Yeah. Um, I think would be a, cause if you're going to let him sit back there, I mean, he can throw fine. He's a, he's an accurate passer. Um, so if you're going to give him time, then I think there's more of a situation where he could be dangerous. So how funny was it that Dana wanted him to red shirt? At <laughs> Like a, a, a tankier. <laughs> yeah, and like Dana is not going to have his job very much longer. But that's a oh, different story. They were, they were terrible. <laughs> uh, Houston was awful. Uh, so, anyways. Um, yeah. Defense. You, you want to switch to defense? So, defense. Yeah. So I thought I it was wanna, interesting. Yeah, yeah go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. No, no, no. Go, 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 uh, go. So, what I wanted to talk about with Manny is I think he – he runs like the same concepts all the time, right? Like he blitzes mostly that fire zone def- uh, blitz, right? Right. So, so if you're running a 3-4, let's say you're running 3-4, uh, and then on the strong side, those two 
linebackers that are on the strong side will blitz and it's called a fire zone because then that strong safety, he rolls down into coverage, into his own coverage on that strong side. And then the backside safety kind of plays the middle. And then the two corners on the edge kind of like run a cover three. And then so that way you have three people over the top. You have three people, you know, on the intermediate routes. And then you're blitzing five. But, I mean, he's run that since they were at Texas. But, like, the number of times they run that exact blitz compared to, like, more exotic blitzes that, like, we run is it's mind-blowing to me. It's like he's running a defense out of the 90s to me. And, like, you know, they're trying to be more positionless. They have, like, a Viper position, which is, like, you know, the stand-up rusher. And they mm-hmm. try to have, like, a – what's the – like, what we call a star. You know, they, they, like, have that kind of position. But, like, you know, I don't know. Like, they're just putting new names on a traditional defense. Right. I thought it was kind of interesting that I did see – I watched the Pitt game, the Virginia yeah. Tech game, and the uh, – in the UNC game because I wanted to get a feel for a lot of different varying offenses and that USC game, they they rushed up and down on them. Yeah. And, and actually you, I mean, what UNC did is exactly what OSU wants to do, you know, kind of that power spread game and then hit them with, hit them with some vertical shots, you know, when you get favorable matchups. And I think, what was it? I mean, uh, UNC had like 500 rushing yards. Yeah. Um, 200 yards. Yeah, and UNC is a much better offense than OSU, so I mean, I don't know, I don't know how much you can take away from that. And and then also too, remember what we were talking about before, where you know, game over game momentum doesn't mean much, especially when you're talking about opponents from you know different conferences. So in two weeks, the off. Fact, um, yeah. But uh, one thing to notice too, Jalen Phillips and um, Quincy Roche, or, or uh, are their two starting defensive ends both opted out for NFL. Um, so, which is going to hurt them. Obviously, yeah. OSU has people that they're missing as well. Um, I found it interesting that they ran a four-man front a lot more than I thought they would. Yes. Um, they had some situations where it was like what OSU does, where you have like, you know, basically it's a, it's more or less a three-man front with an edge rusher that kind of bounces around a little bit. And then also, too, they did kind of what Baylor does a lot of, which I think – I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically two defensive linemen and two edge rushers, stand-up rushers. They did that some. But they played a lot of four-man front even versus UNC at the beginning, which I didn't expect because I figured you would play UNC like you would play a lot of the Big 12 teams, which is – you know, I mean, they've got Sam Howell. They're going to throw the ball over all over the place. Maybe they knew something that, that I didn't. Um, and you know, they just got destroyed up front against UNC. Um, there was a lot of over aggression. Um, like you mentioned, they, they're pretty much a one high team. So that means they're playing cover one, cover three, which is similar to the way Oklahoma state plays. And then they use their ancillary players different in terms of either putting the hand on the ground or moving them around a little bit. Um, so, you know, I, I think defensively they were pretty good this year. Um, yeah. I think there were 28 SP plus OSU was 14. So, Damn. you know, 28 solid, yeah. which by the way, OSU is 14. That's, That's nuts. Sick. Actually, OSU yeah. ended up, I think OSU ended up at 13 actually um, the last week after the championship week. So this is a pretty good defense, but I, I think a, they have a tendency to play over aggressive, which is pretty much every single defense that OSU saw, like I said, they're going to roll one safety 
probably over Wallace, and then they're going to bring the other safety down the box. That's definitely what Miami's going to do. So they're yeah. already they're already um, you know used to that, and I think they need to you know be con- be prepared to do that. And I think UNC killed them by pounding the ball and taking deep shots. And I mean, I don't know if anything describes OSU's offense more than that. <laughs> so I'm not goals. saying that they can, yeah, and I, I'm not sure that they can. I'm not saying they can replicate that, but you know, it's probably a good sign that UNC had had pro or you know had success doing that. Right. Because OSU really wants to run the ball like 45 times and pass the ball 25 to 30 times. So um, I didn't see anything crazy that no. really stood out. I mean, I do think that their aggression really is one thing that I would say. I mean, they want to stop the run first, and they're going to leave their defensive backs kind of on an island. And it didn't matter last game. I mean, they were just beaten up. <laughs> so... Uh, those are my main thoughts about Miami's defense. I, I think they're they're reeling a little bit though, because like you said, they won a lot of close games, um, and their defense has played well. But also too, did they play any good offenses? Right. <laughs> I right, mean, the good right, offenses right. they played ran up and down the field on them. So, I mean, I, I would say that the good offenses they played were Clemson, probably NC State. And UNC, and I believe all of them scored forty points or above on them. So, so would you say a key is that we see more freak shelf chains than we see turnover chains? Yes, that would be a huge thing. We'll have to keep uh, the chain I, count. I tried to figure <laughs> out, you know, where this defense was was really successful. You know, did they did they have a lot of sacks? Did they have a lot of turnovers? Um, and actually, OSU and Miami are really similar in, in those. I mean. I think OSU had a few more sacks and Miami forced a few more turnovers, but in those particular areas, they're very similar. So I think they uh, average like a turnover and a half a game, which is pretty good, but not like, yeah, 1.6 turnovers a game. And I think OSU was like 1.4 or 1.3. I think they forced yeah. 14 in 10 games. So, and a lot of that's inflated by TCU though. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think basically my, my summary of Miami's defense would be this is more than a capable defense that mm-hmm. is losing some of their best players. And it, it's definitely a defense that OSU should be able to run on. However, um, you know, if they show enough emphasis in stopping it, they will. And OSU needs to be prepared for that. So I think, I think there'll be another one of these, what I mentioned in OU, where they play so much on emotion, both sides, you know, that – you know, you survive the first quarter, and then you can really, you know, kind of take it to them. You want to hear my three offensive keys? Let's do it. I know. It's your favorite time. Okay. So, over-aggression. I noticed that they lot of, they bring a lot of pressure on third downs, like you mentioned, like these fire zone blitzes and things like that. You know, they are bringing five-plus quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So, I think that OSU needs to have an aggressive running back screen package in play they have i think two or three different um are you laughing at me no uh, i was I, I i stifled a cough i don't want people uh, to think i have corona oh. <laughs> i was like what did i say that was so, <laughs> so funny well uh, running back package screen game what an idiot <laughs> that's an awful, awful observation so i think running back i think they need to run at least three screens running back screens especially on third down so okay. third down like let's say seven plus 
Like that would be my go-to third down play, at least in the first half, because they, they have tendencies seems like to bring pressure on, on third down. And then with those fire zone, I mean, obviously it's zone coverage behind you. So you're bringing five plus and you're playing zone behind you, which is really ideal um, for, you know, it's very suitable for screen passes. And that includes wide receiver screens too um, as well. So, uh, the, the second one I had was this needs to be a heavy motion and RPO game. Um, when they play, so they, they play a lot of zone, which is a little bit different than what we're accustomed to in the big 12, where a lot of teams are kind of transitioning more to man. Um, and yeah. they were able to, I think it was like Pitt did a lot of motioning and they, you know, every single time I was able to, to pinpoint, you know, zone because you're either, when you're motioning, you know, someone's either following you or they're, they're, they're pushing down the other safety or doing something if it's man. And if it's zone, you know, no one's moving. <laughs> so they were able to do motion and basically determine if it was zone pre-snap a lot. And when I hear zone, I just think RPO, like, you know, cause if you're going to, if you're going to pull someone down in the run fit, you know, hit them behind them with the RPO, uh, you know, like an RPO glance or post or whatever you want to do. So, um, I think they got to take advantage of that and, and, um, whether that be an out route or a post or whatever. Um, and that, and that includes the run game too. I mean, obviously a lot of people think RPOs and they think passes, but that includes being able to, to run when it makes sense as well. So, um, so then my so last one, so you're saying stress the conflict players, yes, right? Basically heavily, heavily. Okay. So, cause they're going to apply those conflict players to the run. So there should be room behind them for opportunities for easy chunk plays to Wallace or Stoner or who, or Martin or whoever is on that particular side of the field. So yeah. I was just confused they, for a minute because you were saying zone and man so much, but I was thinking like, I, but th- then I realized you were talking about cat. So it was cool. <laughs> I I'm sorry. The game. Improper terminology there. Um, <laughs> And then the last one, I think, is just, I mean, I've been beating this drum for a while, but QB run game is really important. Um, They need to have, I would say, at least six to eight design QB rush attempts by Sanders and at least probably another three to four read type opportunities. Um, They play they play really aggressive up front. So, you know, you need to make sure that that you can slow them down a little bit with the QB run game. And Mm -hmm. and I know King is going to try to do the same thing. Um, So. Do they feel as confident that I did earlier about stopping, you know, those read plays when you when you give the ball? And I think that's what you need to make sure and start and get them questioning. Sanders needs, I would say, at least 10 to 12 rush attempts total. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like for high yardage. Like, for example, Baylor, I think it was like nine or 10 rushes for like 24 yards. But he was efficient and right. they had to uh, they had to apply another guy for him. So I think that's an important differentiation point. So any comments on those keys? Uh, the only thing I would mention that we don't really ever mention is special teams. Uh, like to me, this is going to be a close game. And that's where I get worried when, you know, we don't have any faith in our kicker at the moment. Right. That That's real right. tough. That's real tough on a uh, evenly matched game. <laughs> it's hard when you don't believe in your kicker. And uh, another thing too is, is this is the matchup of the um, elderly kicker or punters. I believe mm. Miami's kicker or punter is 39 or 38. Whoa. He used to be a roofer in Australia, 
And then obviously Tom Hutton, I think he's 30 or 29. Um, one of the two. So a lot, of, is so a lot of maturity at punter in this yeah. particular game. Uh, and Miami's kicker is really good, by the way, 18 for 20 on the year. So that's a huge advantage for Miami. Right. Um, so uh, another thing, uh, just my last note, Miami is one of the worst teams in the country in terms of penalties, 117 out of 127. OSU is not a lot better. I think they're like 90th or 85th. Um, but, you know, all the hard counts, you know, run, um, moving fast to kind of entice those, those um, substitution penalties, they will give you free yards, uh, pass interference penalties, so you should take them. Yeah, so I agree. That's, that's all I got. Which you is pick a, the game? another cliche thing about them, right? Is that Miami's right. going to have a lot of penalties. They're not. They're super talented, but they're not disciplined type thing. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily know if like I, they didn't give me that vibe. I agree. But they're not a good. Like I, I do feel like they're a pretty disciplined team. Um, but I feel like their defense is disciplined. Like they're not a lot of pass interference, not a lot of offsides, as opposed to where I feel like most of their penalties were on offense, which I thought was interesting too. Agreed. So, uh, do you have any other notes, or do you want to pick? Let's pick it and get the f out of here. <laughs> uh, so the lines two we and a half. We love this podcast. It's so much fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, lines two and a half favoring OSU. Uh, Fifty-eight and a half is the over/under. Uh, I say we win. I think. Uh, it's going to be one where we score a fair amount. And uh, so I'm going to say like 35, 28. So that's 50, 63. That's over and OSU covers. Nice. nice. I will say that OSU is three and six and one in against the spread. And Miami is uh, six and three. So I think, oh, is, is Gundy like nine and, or ten and five in bowl games, or ten and four, nine and four, oh. or something like that. He has a great bowl game record, though. That's a good point. Uh, and, he always has like one or two fun plays that he rolls out in a bowl game too. And also, too, the losses they have, I mean, are pretty. I mean, are against teams that were clearly better. You know, right. I mean, I think if you look at the, uh, you know, the the games that they've played that they've lost, it was like last year. You know, I mean, A and M was what a, a touchdown favorite. Um, it was a close game. Then I look back at like the Ole Miss game, stuff like that. So anytime there's a evenly matched game, I think, you know, they do a good job of bowl prep. Now this year is totally different with the fact that, you know, it's way later and, uh, like the, you, the season went later and there's less time. So who knows how that, this may just kind of be viewed as like a regular game, but a bye week you know, right. uh, may not even be a, a bowl game, but, um, I am going to pick Miami to win by three. Um, one, because I think it could happen 34, 31 and two, I picked Baylor to win by three last time and it worked out well. So part of me is part of me is like hedging and hopes that it will work against me. Um, you were off by 42 points. I was, it was a historically (laughs) bad pick. Um, if I, if OSU wins, I want to say I might be like five and five for the year or five, six and five picking. I am an awful game picker. So, um, I probably should stick to my my job of just reviewing the the tape afterwards. I, I, I got <laughs> so, the TCU game wrong. It's the only one I've gotten wrong so far. You've, you've been money on the you've been money in the bank. So hopefully both of those trends continue where you're yeah. right and I'm wrong. So um, well, anyways, uh, I think that's all we got. So yeah. got anything else on your side? No, I mean 
I, I still could do like half an hour on Cheez-Its and that sort of thing. And we could dissect why you prefer Cheetos, which Cheetos are still a very lovely snack. But, uh, you know, frankly. I do have one more comment, actually. Okay. I wanted to say, knock on wood that the game happens. Um, huge congrats to the entire football program, the training staff, yes. the the healthcare you know professionals involved. Oh, wow. um, this will be 11 games. I mean, think about Oof. back in August, thinking about the fact that they OSU would play 11 football games this year yep. with no pauses um, from the program and uh, only one uh, game that was or really two. But you know the Tulsa one, it really didn't matter at the end of the day. So really, only one postponement that mattered. Um, was the Baylor game, and it's a pretty incredible job for them. I know that you know a decent amount of the players already you know did get the virus and whatnot, but from an overall program perspective, you know, really great job by by all involved. So yeah, no, I was really excited when you're getting into like the first responders and stuff because I was like, all right, well we can you know, you know, I really I just want to thank the troops, you know, for keeping our borders <laughs> safe. You know, I I feel like teachers are underappreciated; they don't get paid enough. Teachers well, definitely do not get paid enough. We're uh, like specifically I, teachers in Keller, Texas. Yeah, they need to get paid a lot more. In the uh, one household, you'd like a raise <laughs> for the teachers. Huge uh, raises, so all around. Yeah, um, I just was. We're going full pandering. I thought I was at a country concert for a minute. Uh, <laughs> dog died. My truck broke down. No, uh, uh, every country really, concert I've gone to in the last five to ten years, we have to like, we we have to slow down the music and salute the troops. We gotta, you know, have stop and we talk about, you know, the police or something. Like, it, like we have to have like we have to placate to the crowd like five times. Based off of what you just said, it's definitely time to end the podcast. Okay. So. Well, you don't want to get into this. <laughs> Let, let's get into this. No, no, I do not. All so, right. uh, Mitch, have a fine rest of your holiday. And Tuesday's the game. Hope you enjoy it, and we'll talk to you at some point later. So, all right, later.